Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am Ducks Street reporter James Kreppi for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, bringing you this week's edition of our podcast. Appreciate everybody who already checks us out and thanks to all of those who already subscribe and giving us the five-star reviews and likes and all those fine things so other people can find the show and appreciate those who check us out and for the first time as well hope to be able to provide you a little bit of insight recap and analysis from past games and set you up for the next games and we'll certainly go over the win for the Ducks over BYU and also uh, set up and uh, take a look ahead to Wazoo this weekend and another big matchup and what that will have to offer. And we'll chat with Colton Clark of the Spokesman Review. Does a fine job covering the Cougars. We'll chat with him, get some insight uh, into Washington State and uh, their 3-0 start and how things are looking there uh, as well. So first, uh, looking back at this uh, really lopsided and commanding win for Oregon over BYU uh, 41-20, which, of course, we know it was not even that close, really, really. Um, you know, Don't take anything away at the end. Ultimately, if you want to close out a game that you were up 38-7 to in even more commanding fashion, you go out and do it. And I don't think changing quarterbacks and putting Ty Thompson into that spot was a bad thing. I don't think it was too early uh, at all. It's easy to second-guess after the fact uh, and say that, you know, for, for a fan base who wanted to see Ty Thompson get in in the season opener in a lopsided game, uh, in a 40-some point game to not want to see him in a 31-point game in the late third quarter where if everything goes right, they're running the offensive drive into the fourth. <laughs> Again, it becomes like revisionist history and you're only complaining because uh, the first play went for negative yardage on uh, a basically dropped uh, backwards pass. If not for that, who knows what that you know initial series ends up being. They pick up a first down or two. They're taking it into the fourth quarter. So be that as it may, Oregon was in command for a huge swath of the game. Never was remotely not in command for the game uh, once they really took the second score, quite honestly. Even at 10-7, they scored immediately thereafter to where BYU never really had a chance uh, to get back into a competitive spot. Uh, It really just got away from them in a hurry, and that's because Oregon executed really well on offense really efficiently on offense and incorporated both up-tempo and grinded out and clock management, incorporated 13 bordering on 14 personnel with an extra offensive lineman and three tight ends to both milk the clock and really kind of churn out and gain short yardage on you know third and one, fourth and one situations at times. And also sprinkled in there some big plays, big passes. Yes, the 50-yarder is obviously what gets all the uh, oohs and ahs out of the crowd. But beyond that, there were plenty of 20-plus yard passes that were very effective uh, and where you know there was legitimate air yards there. It wasn't just 20 yards where it was always a three-yard screen pass that broke free. No, there was there was Bonex was getting to whip the ball around a good bit. He played effectively, he played efficiently. Uh again, one of the more statistically impressive performances for him, uh, not just so far this season, obviously in three games, but really over the course of his career. You know, 13 of 18 isn't gonna necessarily blow you away, but 13 of 18 is quite accurate. And for 222 and two touchdowns where he started off 10 of 11 
and a couple of the incompletions were on throwaways. So really, I, I don't think there was really necessarily a ball in particularly high degree of jeopardy all game long. Again, efficient, effective, obviously also running for a career high and three rushing touchdowns to add to it on a five-touchdown day. Against a BYU team who, forget about that they came in at number 12. We knew we, I think most people recognized that was probably a little bit of a reach. And forget about the fact, frankly, that Oregon was 25 in the polls. No one's going to, in the grand scheme of things, remember what the poll was in week two or week three of the season. The point is, is Oregon was the more talented team. You knew that going in. BYU was coming off a tremendous win over Baylor. Their defense against the run had been quite effective. And they had pressured the quarterback really well. And they've been a perennial top 25 defense for the past couple of years. Whether they were down a couple of receivers or down a couple of defensive linemen or not was not going to change the outcome of last week's game. Would it have made them a little bit more potent? Eh, Maybe, certainly. But ultimately, Jaron Hall still had a good day. I don't know how much better a day he would have had had one or two receivers been there, quite honestly. Oregon's defense played well. Oregon's offensive line, again, the strength of this team, the one, probably the area of the greatest degree of certainty on the entire roster heading into the season, all offseason. You could have felt confident that the offensive line was going to be a strength. It remains the strength. You know that Bo Nix is going to be behind, playing behind the best offensive line he's played behind. He still is. They still have a lot of sack. Well, has he had to drop back 35, 40 times? No. But that aside, they're moving the football. They are running it well. They topped 200 yards rushing on a BYU defense that doesn't allow that kind of yardage very often. Defensively, they held BYU's offense on the ground to one of its lowest rushing totals in several years. Yeah, Jaron Hall picked up some, you know, padded his stat line at the end of the game and stuff. Yeah. And I don't mind BYU going for it and calling timeouts at the end. Hey, they're still trying to play for the playoff and they don't have the benefit of a conference championship game. So they absolutely had to try and make a 21-point game look like a 14-point game. For anybody with a short-term memory when it came time in early uh, early December, potentially, if they're an 11-1 kind of team. So that doesn't bother me in the least. To the big picture for Oregon... Offensively, like I say, I thought what was impressive was the effectiveness and efficiency and decision-making from Knicks. Yes, that he could also run for some touchdowns. Some of it was short yardage, and you know he certainly benefited from some advantageous situations there, but that's neither here nor there. He executed it. His decision-making was still spot on, again against a good defense, a defense who plays basically exclusively zone, but nevertheless in, in coverage, that is, and a three-man rush. But Offensive line held up, paved the way for the ground game, gave Knicks the time he needed, whether the ball got out quick or the ball went out on long balls. Either way, effective, accurate. Ground game was impressive. I thought Bucky Irving had a really nice day. Really nice day. And for that matter, so did Noah Whittington and Jordan James. And defensively, whether it was Brandon Dorless or DJ Johnson or Bennett Williams, I thought those were the three players who really each had really, really big games. Dorless obviously earns conference recognition, but I thought DJ 
Johnson was all over the field. Forget about whatever his stat line ends up being, and, he, and it was good. But there were plays that he was making or helped make where he wasn't the one recording the statistic. Bennett Williams, where he's making plays where, again, he wasn't recording the statistic. And he had a, a fine stat line for the game as well. So there were things that on the positive, on the upside for Oregon, beyond just the outcome, things within the game certainly stood out in a big way. Some areas and some question marks coming off this game that set up for and can be areas of a degree of concern going up against a Washington State team who it's an air raid base offense, uh, but it's not the Mike Leach air raid where they're going to throw 45, 55 times in a game. They are going to be much more balanced offensively. We'll chat with Colton Clark about this and get his insight and perspective on uh, on the Cougars and and their offense and Cameron Ward and, and all the things that they've got going on on offense right now, and defense for that matter. But the areas to me that are of concern, of a degree of question, to me has to start with cornerback. Christian Gonzalez played very well. He's played well all season so far. Yeah, he got beef the one touchdown against Georgia. Hey, guess what? That's part of playing the position. You're going to go up against some good receivers. You're not going to win every single rep. That's that's life. But he won far more than he's lost. So he has, you knew going into the season that he was going to be Oregon's top corner. He has been. He's played well. He broke up a couple of passes on Saturday. Again, done very, very nicely. The question now is who is going to line up on the other side of him? And it was a question all off-season long, all fall camp long. And it is still a question because each of the three corners who got on the field with Gonzalez on Saturday against BYU had their moments and each of them also got beat. And I don't mean just got beat in that they gave up a pass. I mean got beat where, again, for those who really get into the weeds of this stuff, and I'm, I'm sure, frankly, even some casual fans can manage to pick up on this. It's not that nuanced. When the offense is on the left hash and Jaron Hall, for as talented as he is, and he is talented, but frankly, he made some errors too. It may not have ended in an interception, but he made some errors last week. If Jaron Hall is going to complete passes from the left hash mark 10 and 15 yards down the field to the right sideline, I mean, those are things that as a cornerback, you just cannot allow in college football. This is not the NFL with narrow hashes. This is a wide field. That is a long throw. Angles, leverage, these are things that, like I say, you just goes part and parcel to playing the position. Cannot allow those kind of throws. From a quarterback who is as talented as he is, was throwing to receivers who, like I say, he wasn't without he was without his top two targets. And that's not knocking the guys who BYU had. This is simply saying this is not C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Joe Burrow or you name it or Trevor Lawrence or any of those guys throwing to a litany of first-round receivers. This is a six-foot, six-foot-one quarterback who could be really good at the college level whose game may or may not translate that well to the pro level throwing a receiving core who frankly, probably doesn't have an NFL player in it, at least not on the roster from Saturday. I don't know about 
with the guys with, with Romney and Akua who were injured. Those are not completions that Oregon defensive backs who are former, you know, four and five star guys should be allowing very frequently. And unfortunately for Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning and Jaleel Florence, while they each had positive moments in coverage, and they did, whether it was with PBUs or just not allowing the pass to be complete because, you know, running guys out of bounds, whatever the case was, they each got beat on passes from one hash mark to the other sideline. And that's not good. And now you're going up against an air raid who balanced or not has some talent at receiver. Again, it doesn't have to be first or second round NFL talent. It has talent at receiver. And an effective offense, an explosive offense. And for that matter, hey, this is not just a matter of for this week with the air raid and Wazoo. This is also for Stanford. This is also for Arizona. This is also for, you name it, UCLA. Because guess what? Stanford's going to come in with, as you know, their bevy of receivers who are all six foot three plus, and tight ends who are all six three plus, and they've got a big quarterback with great pro potential. And I don't care what their record ends up being. I'm talking about just matchups, the game of matchups. And Oregon's cornerbacks outside of Christian Gonzalez remain a bit of a question. That's where it starts to me in terms of things that can be addressed, need to be addressed. Areas where you can begin to get more answers as Oregon opens conference play against Washington State. That's a spot. In terms of guys who were hurt and are they going to be back and what does it look like? Yeah, sure. Of course, you can always certainly look into that. Areas that will be compelling, uh, particularly in this game. We talked about the offensive line being a strength, has been, will continue to be. This Wazoo defense, yes, defense of Washington State is playing tremendous, absolutely tremendous, doing a great job against the run, putting up numbers right now that Washington State hasn't seen in forever by way of run defense, by way of tackles for loss and sacks from this defense. They have generated multiple takeaways in 13 of their last 16 games. Jake Dickert has delivered some outstanding results so far. Outstanding on that defense. Really unheralded. And they have a linebacker right now who I realize, again, even if you've managed to watch some of Washington State so far, this was somebody who was absolutely not a household name at all. Forget about the fact that obviously he wasn't in the, in the conference last year. He was at Nevada. Yeah, Deion Henley played well at Nevada last year. He right now is playing absolutely out of his mind for Washington State. At Nevada last year, he had 103 tackles and four pass breakups and four interceptions. Had three tackles for loss. Wasn't really part of a blitz package or anything like that for Nevada last year. In three games... He's up to 30 tackles, has an interception, is second in the country with seven and a half tackles for loss, of which four of them are sacks. This is a player who Oregon can try and scheme around them. They can try and effectively basically take him out of the game as the prior regime tried to do when they played Washington State with Jihad Woods. That was always something you had to do. You had to try and scheme around Jihad Woods. You had to try and scheme around 
uh, Evan Weaver when he played Cal. It can be done. But this is a player who is everywhere for this Washington State defense. Everywhere. And he's not the only one, but he's the one who's just completely jumping off the page so far. It's it's really uncanny. If we were at almost any other school in the Power Five, he'd be, you know, talked about in a far bigger light. But he's at a place where, you know, he's flying a little bit under the radar so far. Well, Saturday is another national television opportunity, not just for the Ducks, but frankly, for this Washington State program, who look, their their fan base is I can only imagine has got to be all kinds of jacked up and thrilled right now that they're off to a 3-0 start and they have an opportunity to upset Oregon and put themselves in a major, major national spotlight with a win. The opportunity ahead of both teams in this game is really rather significant. Dan Lanning and Oregon can pick up their first league win of the year, improve to 3-1, beat a legitimately good Wazoo team who is absolutely going to be bound for a bowl game at, at minimum. I mean, that that I, mean, I don't think that's even remotely in question right now. I think it's a matter of does Wazoo actually contend for something far bigger than that? And conversely, like I say, Washington State, the stakes for them, this is huge. If Wazoo were to win this game, other than all the love being thrown to USC right now, Wazoo would... Forget about, oh, they're on the fringe of the top 25. They would vault way into the top 25 with a win and improve the 4-0. And they would absolutely be on the fast track to being everyone's you know Cinderella pick to all of a sudden contend for a conference championship and be you know the second team to USC to play in Las Vegas. So it's a huge opportunity, obviously, for both sides. Stakes are high. Environment uh, at Wazoo and on the Palouse is always uh, always a fun one. Uh, and forget about you know, the size of the building. It always plays louder. It always plays uh, in a bigger setting than that, uh, especially when Oregon comes to town. So should be a fun one. Should be an interesting one. Again, plenty for the Ducks to, uh, for Ducks fans in particular, to look at, evaluate, um, assess in the course of this game beyond just the outcome itself, things within the game. Uh, continue to look at the decision-making mix, continue to look at, see the running back usage, see how the offense and the offensive playbook begins to expand a little bit over the course of each week. You're starting to see that more and more and how Kenny Dillingham is using not just the tight ends, but different formations and things he's toying with. See how the defense personnel matches against a air raid that, like I say, is more balanced, that includes a tight end, which is basically unheard of in the air raid. Lots of things to look at. Again, Oregon's going to be the more talented team. You know that going in. But it's not just a matter of talent. <laughs> and and this Wazoo team, just as BYU is well coached and really good, and they, you know, look, Oregon outplayed them start to finish. But BYU made some really costly mistakes on both sides of the ball to where it got to 38-7, to not just because Oregon was executing really well, but because BYU was not. Wazoo may not even have the high-end caliber talent of a BYU at certain positions. But, but, they're at home. They're playing really well. They went into Camp Randall and knocked off Wisconsin. This is a big opportunity for them. Major opportunity for them to get back 
back into the national spotlight in a really big way, probably for the first time since the end of the Leech era in a really big time positive way for Wazoo to, yeah, obviously the upset at, at you know Camp Randall, they've already had that spotlight on a major stage, no question, but an upset is one thing. Pulling off potentially two inside the month of September, that would, like I say, really catapult Washington State. So the stakes are high as Pac-12 play gets started for both teams. We'll chat about that and get some more insight on the Cougars from Colton Clark of the Spokesman Review. And we welcome to this week's edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast, a Washington State beat reporter for the Spokesman Review. Colton Clark, who you can follow on Twitter, as always, at Spokesman Clark. Uh, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, this is this should be great. A cool game, interesting game coming up here. Uh, you know, thanks for letting me talk about it. Absolutely. Well, uh, yes, it should be uh, quite the setting. Uh, to give folks uh, who haven't seen Wazoo just yet this year, uh, Colton, a little bit of a uh, basically a short brief of their season thus far. Uh, obviously, I think most uh, Pac-12 fans and Ducks fans know about the win at Wisconsin, but you know, on the other sides of that were uh, a less than impressive win over Idaho to open the season uh, in a game that took nearly four hours. Uh, and then this past weekend against Colorado State, a really dominating performance. So this past two weeks, obviously some nicer games in the season opener. Also with that, in that Idaho game and Colorado State game, uh, since they were at home, uh, not huge crowds uh, for Pullman just yet, but this weekend should obviously be a considerably larger uh, crowd and, and probably a packed house. What has this Cougars team looked like uh, beyond the trip to uh, Camp Randall? We'll, we'll obviously get into that a bit, but what has this team looked like uh, for Ducks fans who haven't seen them as much thus far? Uh, because there's a whole lot of new names compared to even just one year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that Idaho game, yeah, very strange uh, start. I guess Idaho might be better than everyone. I covered Idaho for years, and looks like they might be finally clicking on you know on that FCS power level potential. I mean, they gave Indiana a fight too, but that's nothing to you know twenty four seventeen. That was it, disappointing. I would say disappointing for the for the Wazoo fans watching it. Uh, defensively. Wazoo hasn't shown many cracks this year, and that was kind of what did it. That 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 Idaho game, Vandals couldn't move the ball really much at all. Uh, it was just Wazoo's offense is new. It's the air raid, a lot of new uh, pieces, and definitely still kind of finding their rhythm in that game. They just could <laughs> they couldn't really move the ball at all either. Uh, so it just came down to Wazoo's defense being really quite dominant in that game. And then you saw the Wisconsin game too. It was like it, the offense was the same thing. They couldn't get moving, but that makes a little bit more sense against the, you know, kind of a nationally notable Wisconsin front. Uh, but then again, the defense did it again. I mean, Wisconsin had yards, but they Wazoo's defense, like it was last year, I think they might be better than last year, but just like they were last year, it was, uh, you know, they give up yards, but they'll make, timely plays they make plays when they need to get stops in the red zone three and outs near midfield stuff like that like oh like 50 yard drive to the 35 or something they have like two sacks in a row and it just destroys the drive uh things like that contained wisconsin's ground game pretty well and then 
yeah, Colorado State, then the kind of the offense finally showed those more sustained success because you'd seen little tiny flashes here and there, but they were just going three and out so often they couldn't really sustain any, they couldn't sustain any possessions in those first two games really. Uh, just looked, you know, disjointed, I guess you would you, you would say that everyone was just a little, a little bit, Cam Ward with quarterback was a little bit off target. Apparently, you know, the receiver said we were running the wrong routes. We had busts. We don't know, like that Idaho game, they were in their own heads and Wisconsin tough defense and uh, still quite hadn't quite settled in. And that third game, you kind of saw the flash of it. They scored 28 points. They scored 21 points right off. So four straight possessions scoring. Those first three lasted like a combined three minutes. It was like 12 plays for, you know, nearly 200 yards. Just like that, you know, clicking. It was like, oh, wow. They're like, this is the game we wanted to show what we're capable of against the, you know, shake super shaky Colorado State team and and they 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 thought they did and they were disappointed in the second half not sustaining it you know, not stringing together more possessions and putting up more points. Only scored ten in the second half. But, you know, what are, what are you gonna do? And when you're up thirty one in the third, I wouldn't imagine that I I've seen some people disappointed in that, which I think is kind of like, yeah, that's a little ridiculous. You know, you're up thirty one to zero against a coaching staff you know the players are obviously going to hit cruise control a little bit in that case, I think. So, um, so yeah, just a really – then defensively, I mean, they're, they're second in the nation in TFLs and sacks uh, all over the place, six deep at the edge. Like, they rotate six people consistently at edge, five, five good defensive tackles, an NFL-caliber linebacker, and then two starting middle linebackers that rotate – um, so just the front has been incredible so far, and that was kind of the expectation coming in, is that they were going to have one of the better Pac-12 defensive fronts, and they definitely looked the part so far, especially Dayon Henley, outside linebacker, who's PFF's top-graded linebacker in the country right now. He He's just everywhere, sideline to sideline, covers ground so fast, and yeah, that defensive line is getting pushed consistently. Uh, so I hope, that, uh, I hope that kind of sums it up. Yeah, for sure. What the what, we'll get to Henley in a sec, but it, is it the is it Henley in particular and a couple of the other additions on the defense that have led to? You know, it's one thing to say improvement on run defense. And again, it's a three game sample, and we'll see. But a three game sample that includes a Wisconsin team that I mean, anyone who's paid any attention to college football the last like twenty five thirty years knows that Wisconsin's going to run the football. And I mean, Wazoo is allowing two and a half yards a carry and less than 100 yards on the ground per game so far. And, yeah, three-game sample or not, uh, Wisconsin included or not, this is a Wazoo program that, I mean, they have not even sniffed anywhere close to that kind of statistic. So even if the number were to blow up to, frankly, 120, 140, 150, they'd still be having one of their best-run defensive seasons uh, over the course of the year because, again, you don't have to go back that far to where that number was more than twice as high. Uh, so what has it been? Uh, is it just the, the personnel changes combined with, uh, you know, Jake Dicker been, being around a little bit longer that the guys who were back, you know, pick some things up and, and the guys who are additions are upgrades in talent or what is it to where, like I say, the, the, I mean, the stats are, like I say, they jump off the page. Yeah. I think it is a little bit of, of that, just the, the Dickert system and, you know, the new DC Brian Ward from Nevada, it's 
the exact same system, so they just kind of built on the same thing that's been installed here since early 2020. And, you know, they the whole defensive line has played in this system ever since then. Uh, I think that the, the defensive ta- tackle position really improved. That might be an understated part of the defense. Um, their guys who were gap pluggers last year actually can make some, are, you know, getting more push and making plays and, they added a couple of depth pieces. That's a huge part, too, is the depth pieces they added. I mean, they had two standout edge rushers last year, two backups who were, like, you know, relatively reliable, but now they're like, we added two more. The the, <laughs> the two guys that were behind the stars, Ron Stone and Brennan Jackson, those guys are those guys that were behind the stars last year. They, they look even better, and then now they have their own backups. So just the depth and being able to play, play fresh consistently – they're more athletic at linebacker, even though these are two. They had two five-year starters that they lost to graduation. Uh, those guys were. I mean, it's hard to. It's, you can't really replace the experience, and those guys were known as, you know, the, the kind of intelligent playmakers, but maybe not quite. It didn't I was have say, to. I don't think Ducks fans are missing Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they were, were around yeah. forever, and you know, they were super reliable. They knew what they were doing. They were. They would make they again. They would make timely plays. Kind of the the idea of the identity of this defense, but the linebackers they have now between between Henley and Mangoa, who rotates with Trey Brown, those guys are like uh, they you know they kind of pop uh, when you just watch them. You're like oh, okay, they have more burst. Uh, they're just more kind of relentless, harder hitters. They're screaming through gaps like crazy. I think Henley. Yeah, just the run defense to Henley. It's weird having an individual player like that make such a huge impact. But he is, I mean, he was a skill player in his past, and now he just looks like an NFL linebacker. And he's just so fast and such a, oh, man. He just is around the ball in every play. And like they did last year, they're better at this now. Uh, but they kind of pride themselves on swarming. And they, they are. They always have f- at least four people just right around the ball. Brian Ward has a lot of great pressure stuff, similar to what Dicker was dialing up. Disguise things. He sends pressure from all kinds of angles. So it's like, yeah, I guess just schematic improvements and developments in, in, the, in the scheme as would be expected. They didn't lose anybody up front. Brennan Jackson maybe is better than Ron Stone Jr. now, which is crazy. Ron Stone was first team All-Pac-12 last year. But Brennan Jackson, I think, might be their best defensive lineman now. So they have two guys who are all conference on the edges. Defensive tackle position got deeper. They're all seniors for the most part. Uh, they got more push there. Got more athletic at the linebacker positions. Um, so yeah, I think that might that might sum it up. Uh, they're just they they are they just play they play relentlessly. A lot of people have this might be a too far of a callback, but '94 the Palouse Posse defense. A lot of people even old coaches included have been like, Hey, the, the, the style that they play with is kind of like that, like attitude, just really aggressive, really fast speed all over the field on the defensive front. And, and they're all swarming to the ball every time. It's obviously, yeah, it's a huge shift and, and one that, uh, you know, for, for Wazoo to, for the better part of basically a decade to be known as the offensive, you know, explosive air raid school. And they're back to the air raid. We'll get to that in a second. Um, that uh, now that they could be known for, you know, not just good defense, not just even great defense, but you know, they're like I say, they're playing at a borderline elite level, and and they're led by. And you mentioned Henley. Tell folks a little bit about Deion Henley because this is a name that uh, 
has really burst on the scene. And quite frankly, if you were if if he were, if a player like this, if you were putting this stat line up at any number of other schools, this is somebody who would be on a national stage at absolutely epic proportions. Now yeah. he has an opportunity here this weekend coming up. Obviously, the Wisconsin game was big too, but you know it's another national televised game potentially for him if he was to have production against the Ducks and and you know help a Wazoo upset at home or something like that it would certainly be very big for him. But this is a guy who is already you mentioned this is a former wide receiver at Nevada, converted to linebacker and is now at, not just was he was really productive at Nevada and he went in the portal in December, uh, so timing you know lined up for him to do that, but. How is it that you know this sixth-year senior uh, came to end up at Wazoo, uh, and tell folks a little bit by way of his background beyond, like I say, the position change and, and obviously the school change? He basically has a season stat line in production after three games, I and mean, he's forced two fumbles. He's got an interception. He's got seven and a half tackles for loss, which is second nationally. Um, like I say, if he were anywhere else. He would already be, you know, there'd be national reporters falling all over this guy. Uh, tell me a little bit about Deion Henley and uh, tell Ducks fans a little bit about a guy whose name is probably going to get called a whole lot on Saturday. Yeah, so first of all, you can see the the uh, the kind of athletic, the multifaceted background kind of come out, uh, sort of like I mentioned. He's just sort of has that 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 skill player twitch, that burst out of the out of his stance you never know when he's blitzing okay i'll start from his background first uh recruited by jay norvell to nevada in 2017 he played quarterback edge rusher some wide receiver in high school at crenshaw in la uh was a receiver and return man for his first two years in college 2019 was shifted to the secondary played like a sort of nickel safety sort of like a nickel uh Sort of, uh, kind of a mix, like a rover defensive back, sort of. Mm-hmm. Got hurt kind of early in the season, uh, out for the year. Then Brian Ward, who's now Wazoo's DC, gets hired as DC at Nevada in 2020. See something in him. Oh, this guy's getting bigger. If we can just get him even bigger, like he, this guy could be a really effective linebacker. Switches into linebacker in 2020. Plays there for two seasons. All Mountain West second team last season is better year. Led the team in tackles. Uh, and I think people started to see that he had a ton of turnovers, was all over the field there, and people started to kind of see that that versatility and the the, the speed and um so he yeah he became one of the top rated defenders in the in the transfer portal and and uh, a big part of it was yeah Brian Ward was coming to Wazoo it's the same exact system that they run it's really close with Ward who recognized his like linebacking abilities so he's like yeah you know picked picked. Wazoo over Washington, USC, and Kansas State. Uh, and then, yeah, when he got here in spring camp, it was like immediately – I mean, he was plugged in at starting outside. They run a four two five, two linebackers. He plugged in an outside linebacker right away. And we all just – yeah, you couldn't help but notice. It's just like this guy's kind of a complete package. Like it was just – it was so clear that it, you're like he covers sideline to sideline – he is going to be really tough for – I mean, he's he's almost too fast for tight ends and a lineman to pick up, too, almost too 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 much – too strong when he gets ahead of steam going to, for, a, for a running back. And he didn't have any sacks at Nevada, which is the crazy thing. They didn't put him in blitzing situations, but they realized that this offseason that 
he well, well, I guess that's they wanted to increase their sack production was a big emphasis this year, and they hey, if we just do more of these creative blitzes and just get Henley on a little disguise going here and scream through a gap, then uh, and it's worked so far. He's got four sacks. Um, yeah, he's just uh, it, it's almost hard to even wrap up quickly the thoughts on everything that so far that you've seen from him because he's just the the easiest way to put it is like whenever there is a play that's not downfield like Deion Henley is going to be near the ball because he's just and you know sixth year of course you have the instincts too and playing so many I think I counted it up he played even more positions but I think he's played 10 since since his like junior senior year of high school he's played 10 different positions so you can see his knowledge of the game come out uh and then also he's just his character matches the he is the best interview at Washington State in I would say five years probably since Gabe Marks. Gabe Marks, yeah, receiver. I was gonna say Gabe yeah. Marks. It was always the fun personality uh, at receiver there, um, who, who usually lit up a room and and filled out notebooks uh, for us reporters uh, because yeah he was a he was a very fun interview. Right. Um, well, Henley's like I say he's a name that Ducks fans are gonna become uh, well acquainted with uh, because like I say like as you're emphasizing. He's everywhere. I mean, the guy just, you know, I mean, you can, you can only scheme around somebody so much. He's just going to be everywhere. Um, and like I say, with Rodgers and Woods and so many other guys on that defense who are gone, um, I mean, Armani Marsh and, and Ron Stone Jr. are about the only two guys whose names are really going to stand out uh, as, in terms of repeats um, and, and guys from the, the past. It's just so many new ones. And that goes for the offense as well. Uh, and we haven't touched on, uh, on Cam Ward just yet. Uh, obviously, a quarterback who drew a lot of attention in the transfer portal this offseason because of the success he had at a Cornet Ward uh, and coming over and be- bringing back the air raid and all those things hasn't exactly lived up to uh, the really gaudy numbers that he had there just yet. But again, it's just yet. Uh, is the emphasis, and I think uh, obviously Ducks fans hope that it uh, continues for at least one more week. Uh, tell us a little bit about Cameron Ward and how he has gone about adjusting to, uh, yeah, playing at the FBS level. And by the way, it's not like he's playing poorly. It's just that he hasn't delivered on the, at times, ludicrous statistics he was putting up at the FCS level last season. Uh, yeah, I think that, and, and also they're they're relying on the running game maybe a little bit more than they did at Incarnate Word. They're trying to really get Nikia Watson involved there and which is funny in the air raid they're trying to do 60 40 passing to rushing so that may be taking some pressure and like you say you know a mid-level FCS conference to the Pac-12 is definitely a transition that's going to take uh several games to, to to get your to get your feet under you there and you could see it sometimes where he's maybe a little overconfident and it's in his his arm talent and thinking that it's a FCS speed still. Maybe he gets trapped in that a little bit. He's made a couple of those kind of errant plays where like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this is a, even though you're this Colorado state, like this is still a different speed than the Southland conference. Uh, but you can see the flashes of like what made him such a well-regarded uh, portal guy. Uh, the arm talent, like his release is insanely quick. And I know it's like people call it a Mahomes esque skill set. Like you can see those flashes of, He's rolling right, throws across the body, and it's like an accurate 20-yard ball. Or he's, you know, like, yeah, rolling left, throws this crazy pass off balance, and it just finds a target in the sideline. Like, things like that, the quick release, ability to maneuver in the pocket, improvise, and make off-balance throws just as well as he would in the pocket. 
you've seen that stuff uh, pop. Really powerful arm too. They haven't really utilized the downfield passing game much yet, and I think that might be part of him settling in. Uh, yeah, it hasn't been bad, especially in that that first half against Colorado State. And I don't know how how much you can really learn from that. I mean, the Rams—they're one of the poor guys. They're they're down there in the FPS, but uh, you can see. I mean, it, it was clicking, and he was—I think he was twelve of fourteen at the end of the the or maybe early in the second quarter. I know he completed 12 of his first 14 for like 160 yards. And and uh, when they're running up tempo and you can see he gets really comfortable in those situations, but uh, when he can just he distributes the ball to each, each corner of the field, a uh, little, little bit less downfield than I expected earlier this season, but they've been emphasizing that too, to try and open it up a little bit more. Yeah, I think though though you can definitely see the flashes of why he was such a big deal coming in, why he was a four star uh, transfer recruit and all that, just with the the arm talent skill and and you could really see like oh that if that's like you know the the potential kind of the explosive potential that they showed moving really quick, uh, you know short hitch crosser boom 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 just different routes each time and and different receivers each time a lot of receivers to to throw it to uh I, I expect that he'll just he'll just because he really has like from week one to week three it's been a week you know as cliche as it sounds week to week to week it's been oh he improved here okay he improved here he improved here he showed more poise and like would look more comfortable controlling the offense in week two which i thought was impressive because he's in wisconsin uh, his first power five game ever pretty much and then yeah in colorado state he showed like that first half was just confidence clicking completely and and what we had seen throughout fall camp of him just timing was right on the money. He was quick on all his passes. His reads were good. And then they second half, they're like, oh, it seemed like they kind of unenthusiastic maybe through a couple of weird ones, off target balls, cross the body pass that got picked. Uh, so, you know, I think he's any he, he's a – He's definitely more mature than sophomore would suggest. It seems like when you talk to him, he's a uh, he's a uh, kind of always the same, or le- seems like a real level-headed kid, a, a, a smart kid. The way he talks about football, and 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 I haven't really seen much emotion come out in him. And I, you know, I don't know how there's mixed, you know. Mixed, yeah, everybody's yeah. got their own assessment of what that means. It doesn't, yeah. mean, which is, uh, yeah, I, I leave that for the uh, uh, for professional psychoanalysts to get into that. I, I don't right. pretend to, uh, yeah, to to yeah. wander into that. He seems poised, is what I mean. He yeah. seems seems to be handling it well. Maybe just still, like I said, yeah, getting used to Pac-12. It will probably take a little bit here, and and uh, yeah, Oregon will definitely be a <laughs> kind of the proving. So, because Oregon's got tons of speed on defense, right? That's kind yes, of yes. That is uh, certainly certainly one of those areas. Chatting with Colton Clark of the Spokesman Review. Uh, last couple things for you, Colton, as you mentioned with the offense. Obviously, uh, again, people here air raid and uh, especially Pac-12 fans, and they go back to Leach as they should. I mean, you know, again, mm-hmm. he's him and Hal Mummy were basically the uh, the fathers of it. Um, well, it, it, this is the Cougar raid, uh, as they're calling it. This is a different uh, iteration of it. This is not. Uh, the Leech and Mummy Air Raid. This is not the uh, Kingsbury Air Raid or even the Lincoln Riley uh, Air Raid, quite frankly. Um, 
This is just plain different. It's a much more balanced approach uh, where rushing wise, I would venture to guess that this is probably by the time the season's over going to be the uh, iteration of the air raid that rushes for more yards than than any other uh, version uh, to date thus far. Um, what is it about? Is it just Dickert's desire to uh, want to be more balanced on offense um, while still having that kind of explosive passing attack? Is it that this is kind of the uh, the lineage that the uh, new offensive coordinator kind of comes in with? Is it the combination with the running back talent? Because again, this is a you mentioned, yeah, they, they're, they're leaning on a new back um, uh, in that in a major role in Nikia Watson. He was there last year, but you know. Borgie and McIntosh are gone, and those were really productive players. And here you have Watson taking over, and like I say, he's he's averaging in terms of rushing yards more than Borgie was uh, last year. So they are very much uh, still relying on the running game, and pretty much you know close to where they have been the past couple of seasons. They just also happen to bring in you know an explosive passer and a different a different kind of explosive passer. Uh, so what what is it about this version of the air raid that's uh, again beyond the balance of it that's a little bit unique? The number of formations is definitely like if you put side by side comparison with the pass heavy air raids, they they switch things up constantly. Like the base is four like two slots and two outsides is the base. The shotgun running back back there, like very familiar looking base set for an air raid. But then all of a sudden. Like, you don't know if, okay, you might get five wide or, you know, running back split out. Maybe they'll do bunch with two tight ends out of nowhere or they'll, they'll do all kinds of things. Or, like, three receivers set or, like, some kind of stack receiver set on the right with a tight end in. So they, they have uh, – Dicker wanted the offense to be multiple, to not be, like, you know, hampered by by relying too much on, on one thing. And that is Eric Morris at Incarnate Word. He always stressed the balance, too, because the two of them believe in the uh, kind of like you need a running game to make the defense prove it, right, you, to soften the defense. And there was that uh, – I'm trying to remember who it was. It was a Chargers coach, right, last year who had like a great explanation for it. It was like you can be a pass-heavy offense, but you need to – the defense needs to prove that it can tackle your guys. So that's like you need a running game to fatigue them and to make them earn it. And that's kind of the same uh, philosophy. I think that kind of sums up what Dickert and Morris believed in. And they trusted what they wanted a guy that, that, that was Watson's become more balanced than he was. He was kind of billed as a bruiser. I mean, he, he was the number two back like behind Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin for, for some time, had over 500 yards in two seasons and, and uh, just, Kind of unfortunate, you know, Borgie and McIntosh were both good senior runners, and Watson was a third stringer all of last year, never touched the field really until the bowl game when they were both on a, you know, the opted out. And uh, he's he's looked bad. You know, I'd like to see the offensive line's got a lot of unproven, and that showed up against Wisconsin. There just wasn't much room to run. But uh, last two games, I mean, they've been able to find some holes through the middle with him. They do a lot of RPO stuff too, by the way. Yeah. That's how they get their running game moving. Tons of RPO stuff. And, uh, yeah, you don't know when they're going to go. It, it, they do seem to rely more on quick game, intermediate stuff. Get your playmakers into space, like the classic air raid philosophies. 
tons of, you know, bubble screens and whatever tunnel screens and hitches to the sideline and crosses like mesh routes and whatnot. And, uh, but yeah, then you'll just see them. They're like, oh, okay, we have, there's two, 240 pound tight ends on the field. So like there hasn't been tight ends on the field at Wazoo in 11 years, mm-hmm. uh, which I find incredible. Uh, so yeah, yeah, they just, they wanted to be a uh, Dickert says multiple. So, so often when he's talking about the offense, he just wants the, uh, whatever defense they're playing to, to be able to, or to, to have to cover multiple, multiple parts of the field, multiple areas of the game. Like you can see it, you can see the flash so far, but like, yeah, again, they're, they're, they're not quite there yet. I think in the, the development process, they're still kind of figuring out what, what play calls work in certain, certain situations and how much they should run it or, you know, to pass this. That doesn't seems to be, seem to be a ton of uh, consistency in the approach so far. And so I imagine they're, they're still figuring that out. Last thing for you, Colton is uh, what are the things you touched on it there with the offensive line being potentially an area? What are the things that, all right, you're three games in, this is the start of league play. People are a little bit more familiar with each other, but Hey, this is a new Oregon coaching staff. And this is in a Wazoo team that, Really, Oregon can barely go back to last year between both the personnel changes, the staff changes, and Oregon was the team that Dickert took over against basically last season. So even the team they were preparing for a year ago was not exactly the team they were preparing for because of all the tumult in the middle of the season. So for all intents and purposes, yeah, they're familiar, but are they? Um, not not really. Um, not, not with the personnel and the coaching combinations and all that. So what are some of those things that – are either unknowns uh, of Wazoo or or, think, or questions that you think are still facing them at 3-0 that, you know, win, blues, whatever, whatever ends up happening on Saturday, areas that answers that need to be had, answers that will come one way or the other uh, in part on Saturday against the Ducks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, can the O-line sustain? I, I think that's a big – they had they weren't bad at all against Wisconsin. Actually, I was impressed that they – because that was – Coming into it, I was like, oh, how is this O-line going to hold up? They don't really have much depth back. You know, the, the five starters, I think, are, like, adequate. Like, all right, good with the five starters, but if somebody gets hurt, then you might uh, you might be in trouble a little bit. Uh, so I'd like to see them, uh, you know, put together another, you know, respectable showing against a, a team that – because in that – the Idaho-Colorado State games, you can't – you can count them, sure, but I want to see a power five performance, right? The from the O line again, like they did against Wisconsin, and let's see if that. I, I guess my opinion will be changed if it works out well, because uh, I know Oregon's got a tough defensive front as well. Um, that in the secondary was another one that's like completely confident in the in Wazoo's defensive front. They're they're I think improved from last year, but they lost all of their safeties. And Jalen Watson, of course, who just had a basic a game turning pick six for the Chiefs last week. Uh, he was Wazoo's top corner last year, so I'm still a little hesitant to to make any calls on the, you know the DBs. They're, they're they started a freshman at one of the safety spots last week. It's questionable whether they'll have their starting strong safety back as a senior, another senior Nevada transfer. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I just haven't seen enough from the, from the secondary yet to make a call. I don't know if they have that 
top coverage corner guy who takes on the toughest, you know, Pac-12 receivers. I don't know if they have that, really. Uh, they like Derek Langford and Shaw Smith-Wade, these two corners. They like them in those situations, but I don't know. We'll see how, how that works matched up against a, you know, more kind of potent offense like Oregon has. Uh, those are kind of the main ones, though. I'm still wait, a wait and see is the O-line is they lost their two starting tackles who were both 42-game starters, and they're both – one of them starting with the Seahawks right now, and the other ones in in on the practice squad at the Seahawks. Complete, pretty much, in the return, pretty much two and a half starters on the O line, but it's a completely new group. They shifted people around, um, yeah, and then the secondary is completely new. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I guess the quarterback and the running backs are too, and and the but the receiving core should play similarly. Same starting outside receivers. The two slots that they have are guys who are experienced in the program and place, you know, they they look like they're as good as, maybe not as good at, or as effective or stat producing as Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris were, but they seem to have a similar level of potential. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the se- secondary, completely different, not quite settled, I don't think, and same with the O-line. Uh, the rest of the team, though, I mean, Seems I would say I kind of have a good good feel on where where they're at and kind of where the ceiling is. Uh, I don't know if Nikita Watson's not quite as explosive as like Borgie was. Um, I think Cam Ward is probably uh, got a higher ceiling than Jane Delora. To be honest, uh, we'll just see how fast he can he can get his feet under him. Like I said, and then yeah, defensive front same secondary yeah. We'll see. <laughs> well, again, appreciate all the time and insight. Colton, again, he's Colton Clark, the Washington State beat reporter for the Spokesman Review. Reminder, again, check him out on Twitter at Spokesman Clark and uh, on, online and everything. Uh, head on over to the Spokesman Review and check out all of uh, Colton's fine work here leading up to uh, Saturday's game and throughout the season for that matter because obviously we you know it's still uh, – uh, a division-based schedule in a divisionless league, but that's yeah. <laughs> you know only only the Pac-12. So you know for you know Ducks fans will be following along, Beavers fans will be following along, you know, et cetera, et cetera, over the course of the year. And uh, again, Colton does a, a great job covering the Cougs. So appreciate you as always, man. Well, thank you, thank you so much, James. I, I yeah, really appreciate you having me on, and look forward to hopefully seeing you in Pullman this week. Yes, yes, very much uh, looking for, looking forward to uh, my, my third trip to Pullman. Uh, nice. So looking forward to it on Saturday. See you there. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Have a good one.